in our passage today, Peter says that some people are going to hear about the day of the Lord, this judgment day. They're going to hear that Jesus is coming back, and they're going to scoff. They're going to laugh at that belief. They're, they're going to say, are you crazy? You've been waiting for Christ to return for two millennia. Isn't it about time you admitted you were wrong about this one? At what point do you just say, okay, yeah, like he definitely came the first time, but the second time that was like a metaphor. I'm not sure what it was a metaphor for, but it was a metaphor. It's time to get off the hook for this one. At what point do you concede, just like the scoffers, that everything has been kind of going on just like it always has? People are born. Their lives are a mix of joy and pain, and then they die. Been going on like that for a long time. Do you really expect that to change? That's where the scoffers are coming from. They're looking at the evidence, and they're like, really? 2,000 years. One of the, one of the leading lights of the late 80s and early 90s Zach Morris had, had something he called the five-minute rule. If your teacher is uh, five minutes late to class, they're not coming, and you can leave. That's five minutes. 2,000 years. Maybe it's time to explain away this belief. And you know, I'll tell you, I think what makes this especially tricky is that at least for me, the day of God's judgment is probably one of the beliefs of the Christian faith I'd like to explain away. Verse 7 talks about the destruction of ungodly men. Verse 9 talks about people perishing. It's like, can can we talk about grace again? Wasn't that nice? We just talked about grace for a few weeks in a row judgment. At Christmas, really, preacher? You couldn't have written a sermon on shepherds and angels or something like that? Judgment. But I've, uh, I've thought a lot about this, and uh, especially watching the news the last couple weeks, and I'm, I am increasingly convinced that uh, there's probably never been a better time than right now for us to believe in or at least hope for the day of Christ's return. As we all know, this summer in Ferguson, Missouri, Officer Darren Wilson stopped Michael Brown, who was uh, suspected of robbing a convenience store. And at some point in their interaction, uh, Brown apparently punched Officer Wilson in the head. And in response, the officer shot Michael Brown, uh, from what we can tell, 12 times. 
Later in the summer, a police officer in New York named Daniel Pantaleo and several other officers confronted Eric Garner on suspicion that he was selling unregulated hand-rolled tobacco cigarettes, which it occurs to me a number of my friends have sold over the years. But the police were going to make an arrest. Garner, of course, wanted to be left alone. Uh, he felt like he was being hassled for something that nobody cares about, selling unregulated cigarettes. But he was resisting their arrest. And the police felt they needed to restrain him, and so Officer Pantaleo put Garner in a kind of headlock, and he and several other officers brought Garner to the ground. And when they brought him to the ground, he ended up dying of suffocation there on the street. So there's a lot that I don't know about these situations. There's a lot that you don't know about these situations. I don't know all the details about these particular incidents. It occurs to me that I don't know what it's like to be a cop every day called into tense and violent and unknown conflicts between strangers. I don't know how that would affect my outlook on life. I also don't know at all what it's like to feel like police treat me always with suspicion and assume the worst. There's a lot I don't know, but I do know a few things. I know that I trust the police in this city to work for me. When the police show up on my intersection, I almost always feel safer. I like talking to the police. Uh, I'm confident that the justice system in this country will work for me. I have basically no fear at all of ever being wrongly accused or profiled under any circumstances. And if I were, I think a lot of people would line up to apologize to me. But for a lot of people in our church, in our families, and in our neighborhood, that's not true. Especially if your skin is darker than mine, like Eric Garner or Michael Brown's was. There's a lot of people in our community who feel very strongly that whatever the specifics of the Brown or Garner cases, even set those cases aside, even still on a regular basis in their lives, the justice system does not work for them. It feels like it doesn't work for them, it works even against them. Like the police actually make them feel less safe, which is crazy to me. I have no idea what that would feel like. And, and if that was just one person who felt that way, I'd say they, they must have a complex or something. It's a lot of people, it's a lot of people who feel that way, including a lot of people I know and trust. So I think it's a good time to point out that, um, so I, I'll concede, I complain about politics a lot up here, but it's worth saying, I think, at this point, that our government and our laws and even our justice system are the envy of a lot of the world. It's no Canada, but uh, this, is about, this is about as advanced as a justice system has ever gotten in human history. 
And for me, that's the biggest reason why there has never been a better time to hope for God's justice system. To hope for judgment day. For that day when all the gray areas and speculation When all the talking heads on cable news shut their mouths and God speaks. God who sees through the BS, God who is all-knowing, and all wise properly judges every human heart. Justice may be hard to get in this life, but Christ says it is guaranteed in the next. And some days I hope that's true. But even still, a lot of days, it sounds kind of hard to believe. So in our passage today, Peter says that if you are a judgment day scoffer, you may want to reconsider. Peter says in verse 1 that he wants to stimulate us to wholesome thinking. I was an English major, I can tell you wholesome is a lousy word. I, I can't help but think of a loaf of bread when I hear wholesome, but to be wholesome at least means to be whole, to be complete. And it occurs to me that a lot of our thinking, especially a lot of our thinking about God, tends quite often to be kind of narrow and incomplete. Too often we read one part of the Bible and we sort of settle on one idea of God, usually one that fits our biases, our politics, our views, and we don't bother to have our image challenged or shaped or expanded in any way. We sort of pick and choose the parts that we like. Peter wants to stimulate us to more whole thinking. And he says the key to more whole thinking is to know the whole Bible. This should not surprise us. So Peter says in verse 2, I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the prophets, Jesus, and the apostles. In other words, <laughs> I want you to recall the Bible. I want you to recall the whole thing. And so Peter goes to a place in the Bible I never would have gone to. He goes to the story of Noah and the flood, this deluge with water. <laughs> it's a terrible story. Um, we learn that every inclination of people's hearts was only evil all the time. And then we see that God graciously saves some, but destroys many others. So if, if I wanted to point out a place in the Bible to talk about judgment, I, I would have brought up Jesus. Everybody likes Jesus. Uh, and he talks about judgment more than anybody else. Uh, but Peter goes for Noah, one of the toughest stories in the Bible, but the point, I think, is unmistakable. God takes sin really seriously. So just let God be God. Don't presume that he can't exercise justice. He has. He can. Don't box him in. 
But Peter's not done. The next thing Peter does is he brings up the creation story, which is another place I, I wouldn't have thought of. Uh, but I think it actually makes sense to bring up creation if you think about it this way. Imagine if this world were not created by God. Right, so a lot of smart, good people take that to be obviously true. Right? That, that we are all here mostly by like a fortuitous accident. Uh, the right elements came together in the right fraction of a millisecond to kick off conditions for life 13 billion years later. And we're the product of that fortuitous accident. And if that's true, that, that this is all a cosmic accident, that this is just all there is, then I think it becomes a lot harder to talk about things like right and wrong. Who gets to decide what's right? By what authority could anybody be judged? I mean, right, standards for this change all the time. We've got governments, that's the best approximation of justice we can get, but, but they come and go. And as we've seen, even the best governments in the history of the world fail to deliver justice. And so, Peter reminds us that God created this world. Because if God created this world, then there is more to this world than meets the eye. We are more than just the byproducts of a fortuitous accident. Our lives have meaning because God gave them meaning. And if He created this world, it is not a leap to expect that he can judge it as well. So we'll talk about that more next week. But for now, I want to go back to the big question. And the big question is this. All right, even if I accept that the Bible says that, that Jesus is coming back, even though I accept that that's true, seriously, what's the holdup? And Peter's response to this question, verses 8 and 9, is so interesting to me. First, he says, God's sense of time is different from ours. So he's quoting Psalm 90. This makes a lot of sense to me. Um, our experience of time is relative. Ask a three-year-old to wait 15 minutes before he can have dessert and tell me that our experience of time is not relative. So this seems obvious to me. It's the next point that I find most interesting. Peter says that all delays are not the same. So some people are slow because they're indecisive. Right? Like, oh, you, you decide. No, no, you decide. No, no, I, whatever you want to do, we'll do that. No, 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 whatever, whatever you want to do, we'll do that. Right? Some people are slow because they're indecisive. Some people are flaky. Okay? Uh, so they tell you that they're going to come by to help move a couch, but then they change their mind, apparently. You find out a few hours later, right? They'll get to it maybe later, right? So they make promises, but they don't keep them. So there are lots of bad delays, but there are also good ones. So I was thinking about a teacher, Jason, right? You knew this was coming as soon as I said it. Uh, in his U.S. history class, 
So he already knows that the causes of the Civil War were complex. Okay. And I bet he could write a really good paper on the early abolitionist movement. Uh, he could write eloquently about states' rights and the complexity of the agricultural economy in the South. I bet he could write a bunch of good papers on the causes of the Civil War. But his students don't know that stuff yet. And they can't write that paper yet. Now, Jason could do it for him. He could probably write 30 of those papers. They'd all be really good. But instead, he waits. He explains things. He gives help. He encourages. He explains some more. He gives some more help. Right? A good teacher doesn't just do it for his students. A good teacher will create conditions and wait until they get it. And I think that's the picture Peter is painting. Like a good teacher, God is not freaking out. He's helping us, but he's not doing it for us. He's not slow as some understand slowness. He's patient. Why is he patient? He's patient because he does not want anyone to perish. He does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And I think when we think about Judgment Day, um, we think of God sort of dividing people into the good ones and the bad ones, the, the right ones and the wrong ones, and then you reward the good ones and you punish the bad ones. Uh, that would be justice. Right? Except with the gospel, there's one huge wrinkle. See, God knew how bad the punishment should be for our sins. For all of our lies and half-truths and all the nasty things that we think uh, or do when no one's looking. All the good things we don't do. God knows what comeuppance would look like for us. And so God, God put himself God put on himself every punishment that we deserve. That's what the cross is. That's why his death was so excruciating. He was bearing our judgment day on himself. So that all we need to do is trust him. We don't need to prove that we're in the good half or the moral half or the right half. We need only to trust, to repent is what Peter says. To just turn from our sins and say, Jesus, I trust you, I need help. That's it. And that's why we can come to this table. And that's what we're going to do today. And I, I remind you this every week, and there's no gospel truth that's deeper than this. Um, we come to this table not because we ought to, but because we may. Not because we're strong, but because we're weak. Not because we're right, but because we're sorry. Not because we're whole, but because we're broken. People of God, lift up your hearts.
Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Let's pray together. Powerful and loving God, we praise you. You created this world. You made us in your image. And you made promises to us, even when we fell into sin. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ, our Lord, who by his life, death, resurrection, and ascension, opened to us the way of everlasting life. Therefore, we join our voices with all the saints and angels and the whole creation to proclaim the glory of your name.